Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash mission log. That's buyraycon.com slash mission log for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss, Hero Collector, and the brand new official Star Trek Online Starship Collection. The first two ships in the collection, the USS Gagarin and the USS Chimera, are available now for only $29.95 each with free shipping at herocollector.com sto. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 360, Apocalypse Rising. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we analyze each and every episode of Star Trek in broadcast order and with or without copious amounts of blood wine. This week, we go deep undercover into the heart of a growing conspiracy against the Alpha Quadrant with Apocalypse Rising. However, before John and I undergo deep cover reconstructive surgery complete with Klingon fangs, which give me a terrible lisp, I'd love to clearly enunciate as to how you can get in touch with us. Mission Log relies on your participation, so that's why we want to hear from you. Help us spread the word by giving us a like or a share on Facebook or Twitter, where you'll find us at Mission Log Pod. Tell others about us there. And if you're inclined to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful and we'll share those in a future supplemental. You can reach us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by calling 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. We'll get to trivia in a moment, but first, a word from Eagle Moss and the Star Trek Online Starship Collection. Norman and our dear listeners, there's so much to know about what Eagle Moss does with their starships. You already know that their starships are developed in partnership with CBS. They're officially authorized by CBS Studios. But these, this brand new collection of the official Star Trek Online starships were developed with the creators of Star Trek Online. And they are available only from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. And what they want to do is start you out with the first two ships in the collection, the USS Gagarin, that's the Federation battle cruiser, and the USS Chimera, the Federation heavy destroyer. They're available right now directly from Eagle Moss shop for only $29.95 with free shipping. 
You know, John, when I started playing the game back when it first launched, I never would have thought that Eagle Moss... Well, first of all, Eagle Moss didn't exist back then. And secondly, <laughs> I never way, thought... Way, way back then. <laughs> way back then. But I never thought that the ships from this particular expansion of the Star Trek universe would actually get its own product, and I think that's fantastic. And the neat thing is about these ships from Eagle Moss is that these are also based on the CGI models from the video game from Star Trek Online. They're so highly detailed. They're also made of die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials, just like the standard Eagle Moss ships. They're hand-painted, and they are incredibly accurate to the models from the online game. Each ship also comes with a display base, just like the standard models. And the collector's magazine for all of the scenes, the info, the behind-the-scenes sketches, and insider information about all of the ships in the broader Star Trek online universe. Now, the 25th century USS Gagarin, NCC-97930, inherits a legacy of service and sacrifice from her 23rd century namesake. Seen in the battle with the Klingon Birds of Prey in the Star Trek Discovery episode, CV's Pacem Parabellum. Ooh, nicely done on the Latin. Thank Very you. Very good. All yeah. of my Latin paid off. <laughs> also, the USS Chimera, the NCC-97400, was created during the Federation Klingon War and is featured in Victory is Life, the game's expansion that focuses on Deep Space Nine and the Gamma Quadrant. An experimental ship, it is commanded by Nog, Starfleet's first Ferengi captain, and was released as a tribute to the late actor Aaron Eisenberg. See, all of that just makes it even better. As somebody who is not a huge STO player, I have to say these ships are beautiful to look at, and I love the stories that go along with them. So four additional ships are slated to join the collection soon, but available now for pre-order. They are the USS Andromeda, the Bortosk-class Klingon flagship, the USS Buran, and the Romulan Vastam-class Command Warbird. You can see them all online at herocollector.com STO. So for full details, including the comprehensive views of each ship and the ordering information, remember you can get started with the first two right away, that can all be found at herocollector.com slash STO. And now before John puts in his fangs, here is this week's trivia. Why, thank you, Norman. Trivia for Apocalypse Rising. Well, this episode was written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, and here we're at the beginning of Season 5 with the DS9 powerhouse duo of Ira and Robert, this time to do a little house cleaning. Now, you might recall that at the beginning of Season 4 in the introduction of Worf into the series, that all stemmed from Paramount requesting that the end of Season 3 not be a cliffhanger. That changed the focus of the Klingons, and now we have an opportunity a season later to resolve some of the plot lines that have been dug up along the way. The episode was directed by James L. Conway, and you might recall that James was a fan of Star Trek from the very beginning, and then he made his way into his long TV directing career uh, over to the next generation, and he did just seven episodes of DS9, and this one is his last. Previously, we covered his work on For the Cause, and we'll have to wait until season two of Voyager to catch up with James again. Now, I loved this little bit of trivia that I read about the Hall of Warriors, because apparently those statues all around them are characters who we've seen before, uh, like Chang from Star Trek VI, uh, although really 
was he the best choice for the Klingons? We remember what happened to Chang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He died in battle, uh, but he died because, uh, well, Kirk and McCoy and Spock figured out how to get around that cloak and just send a uh, photon torpedo right up the old exhaust pipe. Uh, but yes, but he is there immortalized in the Hall of Warriors, along with Kalos. Kalos is there too, of course. That one makes sense. I get that. Although I, I assume it's the original Kalos, not the genetically recreated Kalos. Whatever. He's, he's in there too. Uh, we have a couple of new ship references. We have the Armstrong and the Drake. Shouldn't have to explain the Armstrong, but just in case, uh, that's named for astronaut Neil Armstrong, the first human to walk on the moon. The Drake is named for Sir Francis Drake, the first Brit to circumnavigate the globe, which took three years at the time, uh, around 1577 to 1580. Now let's talk about guest stars. Well, we welcome back uh, the USS Volga here in a special guest starring role as the USS Rio Grande. Uh, look, I'm I'm all for stock footage. Um, it's just funny that this shot of a damaged runabout is exactly the same shot, only separated by two episodes. Now, granted, there was a whole summer hiatus, too, if you were watching it in real time back then, but still kind of funny to see those two so close to each other. Well, Klingon-centric story, and that calls for two of the best-known returning guest stars, Robert O'Reilly back as Galron and J.G. Hertzler back as Martok. These two should really take their act on the road sometime. I think it would be great. We've also got Mark Alimo back as Gul Dukat. And there are a handful of Klingons we meet in the Hall of Warriors. Many of them are played by stunt performers who have been on the show multiple times before. Uh, Ivor Bartels, Tony Epper, John Bennett, plus actors Robert Zacher, L. Alexander, and Robert Budaska. And then, then there's Casey Biggs, back as Damar. And you may remember, in Season 4's Return to Grace, we were introduced to Damar, part of Goldicott's crew. And at the time, Casey thought it was just such a small role, but the producers didn't lie when they said that he would be back. John, to be completely honest with you, I was a little disappointed that the, that the ship was named after Neil Armstrong and not Von Armstrong. <laughs> I, the, the, other, the stalwart of Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. No that, disrespect yeah. to Neil Armstrong, but... We, My we, we can with. say, we, we can change it. We can just change the canon now. We can just say the USS Armstrong, named after great character actor, Von Armstrong. Poor Stretch Armstrong. He'll never have a ship named after him, will he? Prologue. Since we last saw everyone, the Klingons have been getting super aggressive with the Federation, and Sisko and Dax have been called by Starfleet to get their take on Gowron being a changeling. The mission is critical. To expose Gowron for what he really is in an effort to stop the escalating war. And who are they sending to do the job? Benjamin Sisko, of course. Act 1. In Quark's bar, Odo is solemnly contemplating a beer, the bubbles, the taste, the whole process of ingestion, which he found disgusting until he too was a solid humanoid. Now he quite enjoys the pleasure of eating and drinking. 
Captain Sisko interrupts his drink with the news that he is needed on this upcoming mission. And that mission is... Go to the heavily fortified Klingon base at Tigacor, expose Gowron as a changeling, don't kill him, and uh, hope for the best? They've got some new technology to help them, though. A thermal detonator! Well, not exactly. It's a set of four Polaron emitters. When activated together, the radiation could destabilize a changeling who is in solid form. The trick is, all four have to be activated at once via a remote. In a limited space, and only for a short burst, or it could kill everyone who is exposed. Piece of cake. So how do they even get there in the first place past Klingon defenses? The tachyon detection grid will prevent them from just beaming over. Enter Gull Dukat, owner of that sweet ride, a Klingon bird of prey he commandeered just months ago in his attempt to return to grace, coincidentally in the episode titled Return to Grace. He's kind of amused at the idea of the DS9 crew trying to sneak deep into Klingon territory. Sure, he's got the ship, but then what? Then Dukat is reintroduced to some of the crew he knows. There's Chief O'Brien, Odo, and Captain Sisko himself, all surgically altered to look like Klingons. Act 2. Dukat is... amused. Here's Sisko, Odo, and O'Brien transformed on his bird of prey with a Cardassian crew and Worf, the only real Klingon in the bunch, Damar, Dukat's right hand, is pretty sure those four will be dead by the end of the mission. They'll take the precaution of fake IDs implanted in the Klingon database, and in order to assure an up-close visit with Gowron, those undercover will be named candidates to the Order of the Batleth, which is sure to be quite a party. Back on DS9, Bashir and Kira discuss Lieutenant Vilix Pran, who is budding again. That leads us, similarly, to Kira's current status, still carrying the O'Brien's child. She and Bashir spar a little over the fact that he is the one responsible. Easier for her to blame him than Keiko, anyway. They contemplate how Sisko and the others are doing right now, which leads us to some very uncomfortable and unconvincing training. Worf is trying to whip his fellow Klingons into shape to make sure their attitudes will pass scrutiny as well as their looks. Sisko takes it pretty well. O'Brien... Not so much, though he's trying. Odo? Well, it's not going well for Odo. This is not his style. And he needs a little pep talk from Sisko, which goes something like, Stop brooding. Do your job. Along their way, another bird of prey shows up to challenge them. Dukat has cleverly installed a holographic filter to make it look like they're talking to another Klingon. Only this time, the filter has failed. Rather than letting Worf step up and talk his way past this challenger, Dukat impulsively fires weapons and destroys the other ship. Better safe than sorry. Now at Tiger Corps, Dukat drops off his passengers and says he'll be back. Never. Why stick around? If Sisko succeeds, the war is over. If he fails, well, see you in Stovacor. Act 3. On Tiger Corps, in the Hall of Warriors. 
Well, it's crazier than two-for-one flagging of ale night at medieval times. Our crew blend in by getting crazy. There's this one Klingon really hitting the blood wine hard. He's bragging about all the people he's killed in battle, which seems about par for the course for Klingons. One of those conquests, though, was a Benzonite named Leporin. Sisko knew him. So, staying in character as a Klingon, Sisko decks the braggart handily and shouts that no one gets between him and his blood wine. Many hours pass, with Klingons getting crunk. Except our crew, though. They took anti-intoxicants to have an advantage. At some point, General Martok shows up, and he surveys the adoring crowd. He stops at O'Brien, though, going by the name Posh. Martok thinks he recognizes the man, but not the name. There's something familiar that he can't quite put his finger on. O'Brien does his best to stall. Uh, they were in battle together. Sure, that's the ticket. Martok buys it and moves along. With the coast clear, Sisko, Worf, and O'Brien get their Polaron emitters in place, hidden among the statuary. Odo attempts to do the same until one of the drunk revelers bumps him from behind. The emitter goes rolling across the floor to the feet of an imposing Klingon who reaches down for it. Act 4. Ooh, it's not looking good for Odo, but Worf jumps in to the rescue. He tells the imposing Klingon that he's holding a Tingamut, a Vulcan children's toy, and he'll have to get one of his own if he wants it. Swiping it back from him, Worf hands it back to Odo, who later gets it in place. Just in time, too, because who's at the party now? None other than Gowron! He makes quite the entrance, buttering up the crowd, ready to bestow the order of the Batleth to those who qualify. As he calls out the names, he arrives at Jodmos, son of Kobor. That's Sisko's undercover name, and just as Sisko was ready to activate the Polaron emitters, Chodmos goes up to the stage. His cover is working until he steps down. Martok has figured out the ruse and cracks him from the back with a batleth, identifying him as Captain Benjamin Sisko. Act 5. It's not looking good for Sisko and the others. They're in a holding cell now with Martok berating them about what they did and how they'll die. But Sisko pushes back. Martok is unwilling to expose Gowron if it upsets the Empire's balance. But Martok knows, he must know, that this isn't the same Gowron. Does he really want to take orders from the Dominion? Okay, then. Martok says he'll release the prisoners and help them get to Gowron. The only way to take care of this is to kill him. Now, no challenge to an honorable battle. Martok does as he promised, getting the prisoners past the guards, killing a few along the way just to clear a path. When they get closer, Sisko, O'Brien, and Worf run along, but Martok holds his weapon to Odo. He won't let him through. There's no way to tell where his loyalties lie. In the Hall of Warriors, Gowron is in top form. He's going through the litany of great Klingon warriors, drinking toast after toast. Suddenly, he's rushed by Worf, swinging his batleth. A few weapons are fired, but Gowron says that if the traitor wants a fight, he'll give it to him. Out in the corridor, Martok and Odo hear what's going on, and Martok can't understand why it isn't over. Why haven't Gowron's bodyguards killed Worf? Odo knows why. 
because that would be dishonorable. Gowron would rather fight honorably than just have his guards shoot down Worf and the others. Strange, Martok more than anyone should know this, unless he's not Martok. The Batleft fight continues, and Worf has the upper hand, breaking Gowron's weapon and throwing him to the floor. As he goes in for the kill, Odo yells for him to stop. Martok is the changeling. Martok starts to transform, using an arm as a tentacle to choke Odo, but Sisko, then the other Klingons in the room, open fire, blasting the changeling to smithereens. So what now? Some relief and understanding or an order? Gowron sees that the Dominion were playing both sides in order to create a rift in the Alpha Quadrant to make it easier to conquer. Gowron balks at the idea that he can simply call off the war, that he would need something in return, like the worlds he conquered, like Arcanus IV. Sisko says the Federation will want to talk. That's what they do, you know. And Gowron agrees, at least, to a ceasefire. He's not all bug-eyed and cuddly, though. He says Worf should have killed him when he had the chance. There won't be another. Safely back on DS9, Sisko has returned to his usual look. Odo is next. And Bashir says he can give him any look that he likes. Bajoran, Trill, human. Odo says his usual face will do very nicely. The end. Well done, John. Thank you. And, 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 and. Now, I can't mentally unsee this, but now I see this giant Klingon party at medieval times, <laughs> all chanting for their own specific warrior champion to win, like, the trials in that and giant sand pit. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Plus one for the Medieval Times reference. Plus one also for the two-for-one flagon of ale night, mm. which is fantastic. Yeah. Although kind of funny, they just said that that big, that big pit that just sort of looked like Kool-Aid. <laughs> you know, I thought Bloodline <laughs> looked a little more like, I don't know, wine. It yeah. pretty much just looked like red Kool-Aid. They watered it down because there were so many Klingons they had to... Oh, exactly. They, yeah, the cheap serve. stuff. Yeah. 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 That on. was like, that was the Franzia of blood wine. <laughs> oh, oh right? nobody wants that. Yeah. It's cheap, but you can drink a lot of it. And the result right. is still the same. Exactly. <laughs> so let's dig in here a little yeah. bit. That was, uh, this is a really fun episode. Fantastic episode. Lots to talk yeah. about. Yeah. So let's start with, you know what I loved at the beginning of this episode? I loved how, how Kira was in charge. She, she stayed mm. in charge. She remained in charge. She was very authoritarian especially when Worf and Chief almost decide to take the Defiant out for a completely illegal, you know, <laughs> mission yes. again to go seek out the uh, the stock footage. So Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's a good point. And there, there are a few moments of uh, command styles and command decisions here that I, I thought were explored nicely. And that, that is a great example of that, where she just sort of takes their... Well, we don't call it disagreement, but they're differing attitudes and says, yeah, you know, you're right. You said that. And here's why we're doing it this way. You know, <laughs> it acknowledges what, what their uh, concerns are and yeah. just uh, reminds them that she's in charge. Um, <laughs> Cisco, when he goes into Quark's bar, is an interesting scene. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. But um, it's an interesting scene when he encounters Odo there contemplating that beer and uh, uh, Odo's drinking, and he says, uh, I thought you were always on duty. And Odo just says, hmm. 
<laughs> that, that, you know, there's no, sometimes you can get away with a line like that and get away with just like, a, you know, a Spock eyebrow tick. And that's all you need to say. Mm-hmm. And for Odo, that was all he needed to say. Um, also, since alcohol plays a big role in this show, um, it, very interesting that in, in addition to synthol, and although what Odo had presumably was real beer, um, they have an anti-intoxicant in the 24th century. I would love that now. Somebody work on that. That <laughs> would be absolutely great. It's like 10 Ford in pill form. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. So what I liked in that scene in, in Quark's bar, first of all, there's this really nice little attention to detail. And I do believe that the signs at the exit, the two black oval signs at the exit were the signs that where Brunt shut down the bar. Yes, totally are. And they're yes. still up there. And basically, I think that's Quark's kind of his own way of giving the FCA, you know, the middle Ferengi. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Because he's like, uh uh-uh. uh, you shut me down. I'm not operating under your management or, or, or your funding, and I don't have to like kick back any of my profits to you. This is all on the station's um, uh, charity. That's perfect. That, those signs will only make him more popular. It's sort of like when you say, you know, this book has been banned in nine counties, like the bar that's been banned in the entire Alpha Quadrant. Well, of course mm-hmm. I want to go drink there. Exactly. The, yeah. You know, the, 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 the people come off the the cargo bays or the, the shuttle bays. And they're like, where do you want to go to? Dude, I heard Quartz was shut down by the FCA. Dude, it's totally baller. We should hit that up. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I really also like the scene where Odo was kind of fascinated by the bubbles. I, I think that it shows a lot of kind of like what he's struggling with, with these new sensations that he's, he's trying to uh, integrate, you know, into his, his new persona. You know, it's not just uh, mentally, but physically as well. Yeah, it it was perfect, and it was in character. And there's another thing that I'll mention here, uh, because I I forgot to take this note earlier. Um, It is photographed beautifully. The lighting on him, the lighting on that beer uh, is just magnificent. And throughout the entire episode, uh, I was very conscious of uh, a lot of Steadicam work, a lot of really interesting moving throughout the spaces. And it's one of those things where, you know, you're coming back from your hiatus and you have all this, the luxury of time because you've been off for three months. So that first director out of the gate, that first director of photography out of the gate with that first script. Oh, I mean, they're they're just putting themselves to work and letting their creative muscles flex a bit. And what we get here is this really nice looking episode because of that. You can tell by the time you get to the end of the season and they're all doing that flip flop, you know, back and forth, one episode on, one episode off. And you only have about seven or eight, maybe 10 days at the most to plan a seven day shoot or an eight day shoot if you're lucky. It's like, okay, now we just have to crank out these scenes. (laughs) We just have to get them down by rote. Um, By the way, I, I never thought about how you really park a Klingon bird of prey at a space station. And like obviously we saw Kirk park a bird of prey on the ground, both on Vulcan and in Golden Gate Park in Star Trek Four. Um I, I thought it, you know, might be from the side, like you have that little hatch kind of in the neck of the thing, the way they showed us in uh in Star Trek Four, or they had that ramp, uh, which obviously you wouldn't use in space. But apparently in this you, you just 
pull in head first uh, with with the big shooty end going right forward into the airlock. Yeah, so, it's almost they used yeah. the uh, photon torpedo launcher to be the you know the the coupling tube. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I guess well, you know, you can do that on a submarine. So uh, okay, I'm sure. Now you just solved it for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, guess I would it's... just make sure that you know you get all the keys out of the firing mechanisms before <laughs> yeah, that yeah. happens. Yes, <laughs> yes. Send send Bob down there. Uh, let, let him check it out first. Yeah. Hey, Demar, yeah. um, why don't you yeah. try that first? <laughs> <laughs> I promise nothing will happen. Swear. We only have two torpedoes left anyway. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I thought there was like a really nice scene with. Uh, with those Polaron emitters where O'Brien's just looking at him. He's like, I hate prototypes because an engineer (laughs) would say that. And I don't think they tested those out. They were just kind of trusting the good graces of Starfleet technology. Like here are these emitters. They should work, but you don't have a chance to try them out. So because of the deathly amount of radiation that they're going to pump out. So, but you know, Mm -hmm. you're just going to go into a Klingon compound and try and, you know, flesh out a changeling. What could go wrong? You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And then also, very much like uh, a lot of episodes that have come before, there's something that O'Brien says and then something that, like, Worf says, like, almost immediately, like, back-to-back. There's this nice cadence that these two characters have because he's thinking about how everything could possibly go wrong with these Polaron admitters. And then Worf, like, underneath his breast, he goes, if we succeed, there will be many songs sung in our honor. Right. <laughs> you know, they're yes. thinking about two completely different agendas. Yes. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and what's so funny, they, they have found just the right way to do Worf, which is that he's just a guy, he's just unfiltered. He just says whatever pops into his head. So it was like last time when, when it was, uh, they did not want you to hear what they were saying. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, exactly. just so completely obvious, completely unfiltered. And here it is again. Uh, they, they keep earning their humor through the characters, and that's a great example of it. Oh, and tell me that Kira wasn't just raking Dukat over the coals when she wouldn't give up the name of who the father is of her child. So good. Right? So I mean, good. That's like, yeah. that's really, uh, Nanan really knowing Kira, really knowing Dukat, and just as she's walking into the lift, she's just giving him that sideways glance, like, you don't, you don't know him. You don't, you know. Right. You know, right. you, like, you know, who's the father? Mm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's just nice to see the way that they continue to use Nana's pregnancy with uh, the joke about Chief O'Brien being the father and, uh, you know, her other moment with blaming Dr. Bashir. It's just to, to see this stuff worked in is great. It, it, it's gold and it, it really fits the uh, the characters. Um. Oh, I, so you mentioned your laugh out loud moment, or uh, I'm sure that there there may be more. I genuinely laughed out loud. I mean, alone, watching this episode at home, genuinely laughed out loud on two occasions. The first was during the uh, ceremony of the Batleth, uh, Gowron welcoming Jodmos slash Cisco, and just his delivery of that line, glory to you and your house. <laughs> Just like so good. What is wrong with you? You're drunk on blood wine. Go home, Gowron. It was great. Um, and the second moment that I laughed out loud. So they identify Martok as the changeling. Cisco is the first one to pull out the uh, the Klingon disruptor. It takes two blasts. You see them. You see him connect. Then you cut back to the crowd. 
every Klingon has pulled out their uh, disruptors and to shoot, 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 shoot. It was hilarious. Yeah, I, yeah. it was. And that changeling took a lot of fire. He did. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, by knowing that, then you know how almost nearly indestructible Oda would have been, you know, at, right. at one point in time. Obviously exactly. Not now. Yeah, not now. Yeah. Um, it, it is too bad that with all the really good, I mean, short, but really good Dukat stuff in here, that we didn't get a scene with Torres Eyal. And obviously they mentioned her uh, because that was sort of the, the, the lure that Kira used to get Dukat over there. Um, apparently it was written, but then cut out. Um, and it, also interesting to read that they conceived this episode as a two-parter, which I could have worked, you know, but I probably, you know, usually brevity is the way to go. So probably best if they squeezed it down to the essentials to really just make this episode snap. It, it just moves. Yeah. And I like the fact that it's not just about the Klingon, you know, uh, infiltration mission. There are... Some really nice moments of levity, obviously, with some of the comedic moments, with especially with Kira and and Bashir, because that's you can feel that there's a lot of real, uh, <laughs> real emotion, sentiment, whatever you yeah. want to call it, between the two for that particular real reason uh, of of them sharing that child together. But I do like the fact that they gave Jake just a little bit of a moment, and they made the story pause a little bit because. He was essentially observing, we are ramping up to something really, really interesting here. And this is kind of like a prelude to this Klingon invasion or war. Yeah. And I thought that that was a nice observation by Jake, because that's what Jake does on his perch. Yeah. He observes. Yeah. yeah. It was a good moment. I, I left out of the recap only because I just, I think the, the plot, you know, really just sort of barreling ahead. But uh, thank goodness in the in the context of a show like this, they use those side moments like that to really good effect. I'm going to bring this up a little bit more in the discussion, but the one thing that I think would have been helpful in terms of four not really spy type officers to infiltrate and to keep their cover from being blown as it was, was to Mm -hmm. have an actual spy with them maybe Mm. because the one thing that you don't do when you're going undercover is to actually come face to face with prominent officials, of, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. of the government that you're trying to infiltrate, or the you know this this uh, this Klingon party, you know that Galron's going to be there, you know, uh, by extension, you know, Martok's going to be there, and then you actually salute him to his face, right? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Could have and been an opportunity to introduce some other characters, you and know? especially Worf. Because Worf doesn't really look all that different, right? Right. <laughs> they changed him up a little bit, but not enough. Right. They, they could get to him like, you look like Worf. I, no, I am uh, TJ, son <laughs> of Roger. <laughs> you know? TJ, son of Hooker. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's just one of those things where, you know, Martok kind of recognizes O'Brien. Obviously, he blows Cisco's cover. But mm. then it's like... That guy looks familiar, like one of the most hated houses in the Empire familiar. Ah, no, I could be wrong. I have to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, I really like the end that Odo, he goes back to his roots. He goes back to his instincts and really discovers the truth of things because 
doesn't take a changeling, doesn't take what he was. It takes all of the instincts of his training and who he is. Yes, um, it, it really is about that. And there, there's a bit of a, a, a payoff there. I really liked, I mean, gosh, here I am skipping for our fourth act, uh, but I really like playback on this episode, watching it a few times, because you get to see those moments in Odo's eyes while they're in jail as he's putting all of this together. So he notices as soon as Martok says, go in there and kill him, you know, not an honorable battle. Who does the camera cut to? It cuts to Odo and you see the gears start turning. It's a great, subtle moment that I totally missed the first time around, but boy, is it good the second or third time around. Why does no one ever ask me to go on an undercover mission? I would blend right in, so long as everyone else in the room was a computer. We'll discuss Apocalypse Rising in a moment, but first, a word from Raycon. You know, John, there are so many things that we've added to our EDCs, our everyday carries, and earbuds are something that's really important to us because sometimes we're working from the office, sometimes we're working or commuting away from home, but earbuds have become such a huge part of our lifestyle, and what you need from something in these earbuds is something of quality, something that actually has a small profile so you can carry it and you're not carrying around something so large. So everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Yeah, I, you hit so much that was important to me. So audio quality is important. I use my, you know, my fancy wired earphones when I'm sitting here recording the show. But I also like to go out every day. I like to take a long walk. And I want earbuds that I can use all the time that are comfortable, that are uh, uh, easy to use, that are wireless. And these absolutely fit the bill. In fact, the newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, uh, they named it for me. They did the work for me. They called it Everyday. They said, here, John, this is for you for every day. <laughs> and they were right. They have the uh, soft silicone ear tips, seamless Bluetooth pairing. That That's really kind of a nice feature. You open the box, and then by the time you're putting it in your ear, you hear the little startup chime, and it tells you that it's connected. And they sound great. It's more bass. Uh, it's a compact design. The fit with those silicone ear tips, uh, which come in four different sizes, uh, makes for a nice noise isolating fit. So I wear them uh, for you know a couple of hours at least at a time. They sound great and they're just out of the way. I forget that I have them in. Yeah, I've tried them on a bunch of different platforms. So I've tried them on calls. I've tried them on music. I've tried them on online media like YouTube and things of that nature. And what I love about these earbuds is that sometimes I forget I have them in. They're so comfortable. They're so small in their profile. So you don't feel like you have these large devices that are hanging out of your ear. Sometimes the weight of those large devices are very distracting and you know that you're wearing them for long periods of time. So they're perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts as one does especially with ours <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah uh, they really they fit the bill for everything that i've been looking for in an earbud they, they're perfect and and i can't uh thank them enough or recommend them enough to have that e25 everyday earbud they are my go-to for every day so now is the time to get the latest and greatest from raycon 
Get 15% off your order at buyraycon, that's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N, buyraycon.com slash mission log. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash mission log for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash mission log. And thanks to Raycon for sponsoring this week's show. All right, Norman, I I think I have to uh, eat a little bit of crow here. What's that? <laughs> so, do you remember way back at the beginning, way, way long ago at the beginning of season four, I, I think I got on my high horse a little bit about making the Klingons enemies, and mm-hmm. this just goes in the face of the whole point of the 24th century, the Klingons are no longer our enemies, because Gene said this in Next Gen by having Worf on board, that that in 80 or 100 years, we can learn to make friends with our enemies. It's actually making a statement to have a guy like Worf on board. It isn't just like, oh, let's let's do something different. Like, no, 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 we're actually making a statement with that. And that, it, it rubbed me the wrong way to just sort of paint with such a wide brush. Klingons are enemies now. Um, it, it really, it, it kind of hurt me <laughs> a bit, but thank goodness in this episode, here we are, we're, we're done with Klingons as enemies and, and look, and I, I don't mean that they're not still a challenge and it can still be an uneasy alliance. Um, but as soon as we went down that road, I resisted it, uh, because a, it just, it seemed like an easy out. Oh, we need an enemy here. Oh, we'll just we'll just plug in this enemy. Here we go. And B, like I said, it just seemed like a slap in the face to the whole intent of having Klingons as friends in the 24th century in the first place. Well, I think that we're probably going to go, you know, vacillate back and forth on what we believe was correct and what is going to actually happen because we we're not, you know, we haven't you know, jumped ahead and watched a bunch of different episodes because that would obviously color our mm-hmm. opinion of what we're watching in the present. So I think it's going to be great that we can go back and find callbacks to where we were wrong or where we have maybe uh, taken a miscue from some of the misdirects or or the way that the narrative led us. And I think that's great because, you know, I didn't know that Martok was a changeling. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they kind of, the, the story led me by the nose and said, yeah, I was waiting for Gowron to oh, get like, his comeuppance in that fight. Oh, okay, right? okay. All right. Lucky you. Lucky you because I knew. <laughs> oh, I know. Really? I know. I know. I, I wish I had been able to watch this without that knowledge because that is the fun. I mean, that this is one of those things, this is one of those pieces of trivia that I already had tucked away, even though I don't think I had actually seen this episode before, before our job here. Yeah. I didn't know right until when Odo, you know, he, he, he sussed it out and he's like, Oh, no, 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 no. This is all about honor, 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 uh, honor, honor. And everything that you said when we were incarcerated, you're like, no, there's going to be no ritual of honor. And nope. Odo's like, I know. Oh, man. I know, I know. Oh, yeah. oh see? Yeah. I, it's like seeing Psycho for the first time. Like, I, I, I want to be able to watch that movie again for the first time. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah, there are those scenes where, and I think that's maybe where a lot of uh, the narrative buildup from all the way back from Way of the Warrior, there are going to be nuggets that pay off, yeah. right? There are going to be nuggets in the storytelling that pay off, and especially if they start really ho- uh, honing in on the serialized format of Deep Space Nine, which is what it is 
famous for. A lot of people online have said, you know, wait till you get to season five and six and seven, right? Because that's when it really kicks in. And <laughs> I can see, uh, sure. you know, when that happened, when that when that reveal happened, you're like, oh. So my big question is right now is like, where's Marta? Yeah. <laughs> see, there you go. You're, you're right? left with an appropriate so, question. Yeah. Look, looking forward to that. I, so, I mean, I, I like this. I, I like seeing weird choices continue to show up. I, I love that we keep following this premise of Ducat having his own bird of prey. That's just, that is his sweet ride. That, that is his mm. thing now. Like, I, I love that DS9 will take a left turn like that. Uh, the, the Klingon thing did bother me. And, and like I said, I know that we're not done with it. I know that it's not just shake hands and everything's done with the Klingons. But it puts us back on this footing instead of just saying, okay, we're throwing away everything that came before. So I, I was pleased with all of that. Um, something, Norman, that you brought up uh, a little while ago with Kira and her handling of the chief and Worf there in ops at the very beginning of the show. I, I want to talk about command style here for a second, because that, that was her moment. And we know that she can be commanding, and she's very good at it. Um, but there were two interesting scenes here that were very different scenes between the same characters. And, and I'm glad they had these scenes in there. And we're talking about Cisco and Odo. Early in the show, we have that wonderful scene in Quark's bar. Um, Cisco has a very important piece of business to discuss. He, he is going in there specifically to find Odo because this mission is important and he needs the constable with him. But Odo is wrapped up in his beer and this new sensation of eating, these, these sensual pleasures that he's never had before. And Sisko stops. He completely stops himself from talking about the mission, why I need you, what your job is, what I want you to do. And he really takes the time to meet Odo on his level. He lets Odo express himself. And then, then only at the end, does he get into what he needs to discuss. It's a great mm. moment and it's good technique. In my book, anyway, it's really good technique. You never know where you're encountering someone emotionally. You know, yeah. so if you're going in, yeah. maybe you're going with great news, maybe you're going with bad news, maybe you're going with with an assignment, wh whatever. But regardless, you don't know where you're meeting somebody emotionally. You take that pause, you let them talk, you figure out where they are. Exactly. You know, yeah. that was a great moment. Mm -hmm. Now the other scene is when they are dressed as Klingons and they're on Dukat's bird of prey, and Cisco has kind of uh, moved past it now attitude which is not wrong I, I i don't think he's out of place there um but at the same time he's dealing with someone who has had it's not just like odo's had a bad day it's not like odo's just had a bad breakup odo's identity has been completely stripped away and now he's put into this incredibly difficult and stressful circumstance so it, I, I was trying to sort of put those two scenes together in my head and say, okay, there's a passage of time here in, in real time, not in show time, you know, um, where Odo has been dealing with this for a while. He still has his job. He still, he still has the, the mental skills to do what 
Cisco needs him to do. And Cisco's right. Like, you, you can't just sit around brooding all the time. You, you need to, for your own sake, get yourself back into the program here. Um, but for the sake of the script, <laughs> they, they boil that down into, you know, a couple of pages of dialogue. And it's, um, I, I think it is asking a bit out of us, the audience, to just go like, oh, okay. And, and then Odo got his groove back. And, and then Odo decided to work hard again because he got a stern talking to from Cisco. That's so funny that you mentioned that because I, I actually wrote that in my notes. I said, here's when Odo gets his groove <laughs> you're back. You're kidding. Right? <laughs> oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean. Sorry, I stepped so, on your line. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, you, you led me into, into a very, very similar point. And I think that a lot of us can identify with, with what's going on with Odo, especially with a lot of us who identify who we are with our career. And mm. if, if we're not 100% effective in, in who we are and what we do and, and way, uh, in, in the ways that we define ourselves, our career or our outside life or our social media identity. When something like that, when something, a, a pillar of who we are is suddenly stripped away from us and it diminishes us as people, we start to question, am I doing the right thing? Am I really this person? What is left of me if all of the things that define me are taken away? And in this case, Without Odo's changeling ability, without that, that level of fear that it instills in criminals on Deep Space Nine, knowing that Odo is the constable and he's good at his job, but he's even better when he has his superpowers. Right. What does that do to Odo when he doesn't give that criminal element pause anymore? What happens to the superheroes that lose their powers? The supervillains feel like they can now run amok because yeah. there's nothing to keep them in check. So I love it that Odo is kind of deconstructed in this episode in a way where he's, one, realizing that there are these other sensations that are kind of developing in him, which is kind of throwing him off track a little bit. But two, I do think that it's smart that, that Cisco chooses to throw him in feet first into a mission because that's the only way the, the pressure of a mission, the pressure cooking situation of a mission where Odo's going to have to snap out of it because if he doesn't, it's kind of like what uh, Jessup says, you know, we do our job or people die. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Right. And Cisco's like, you have three other people and the entirety of the Alpha Quadrant resting on your ability to get over yourself. Okay. But, but is that the right thing right. to do? If you don't know if that guy can get over himself or not in the right time, under the right conditions with you to save your life, is that the guy that you need on your team? And yes, Odo is brilliant, and he has these powers of deduction. Um, he doesn't have to have his special abilities to have those. But <laughs> we don't know Odo well enough to just know, like, oh, he'll, he'll snap out of this. He'll snap out of completely being torn down from who he was and having to start his life over again. Well, I think that that's just kind of the conceit that we have to... Yeah. Um, embraced in this particular story because if it was done in a two-parter where we could fit a little bit more you know uh, exposition into that uh, into Odo kind of growing out of that uh, out of his shell and embracing kind of like this this new version of himself and yeah okay I, I, I can see how if it didn't succeed at that level they had two episodes to kind of deal with that right and they didn't write it well but they had to kind of boil it down into the okay Odo here it is it's either we do our job or this is going to happen, which kind of brings me to my second point. Okay. 
So at the beginning of the episode, when Cisco comes back and, you know, Dax says, you know, Starfleet has a plan. And then Kira, you know, she has, oh, well, who are they going to send in? And Cisco says, they're sending in me. I kind of shook my head a little bit at that because he is the captain or commander of a space station. And they're asking him to infiltrate this very clandestine and very tight security compound. Right. Where, 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 where Galron's going to show up and where, like, all of his officials are going to show up. This is something that they, they moved away from. Uh, they even took off Kronos to do at this very secure location. Right. right. So you would think that security would be super tight and, you know, it would be really, really, really hard to kind of get there, you know, to wedge themselves in there, even if they are disguised as Klingons. So why wouldn't they send, like, at least an advisor, a strike team advisor, or some type of professional spy, Section 31, or something like that along with them? Wait, what is this Section 31 you speak of? I mean, you know, someone <laughs> along with him. Um, I mean... A, Imagine if they actually kind of coaxed. Hey, though, Garrick, we're going to reduce your sentence. Uh, oh, oh. If you, okay. if, if we can surgically alter you to look like a Klingon now. Like oh Klingon. man, that would be torture for him, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's interesting you said that because I, I think about chain of command. So you you, uh-huh. you have the one plot line with Picard getting captured by. David Warner as Gol Madrid, and then you've got this other plot line where you've got. Let's see, it's Beverly and. Worf and, and but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So Beverly and Worf, but they, they've all been training for this mission, and and you see how difficult it is, and it's top secret, and they can't talk to the fellow crew members about it. They treated that in a very different way, and of course, it was you know part of the setup to get uh, Picard out of there. But um, right. yeah, I, I thought you kind of needed a moment like that, or you needed somebody. It, it, it's harder to justify Cisco except that just, well, he's been around a lot. He's been around there a lot. But he still needs special training to actually do this spy job, to do this infiltration of, you know, the Klingon stronghold. It's, um, yeah, yeah. It it seems a little bit of a harder conceit to swallow just because they did get, you know, they did get identified. Yeah, (laughs) easily. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like you kind of, and maybe that was something they could have done if they made this a two-parter, where you had somebody else from Starfleet. You, you could actually introduce another character who could mm-hmm. be uh, uh, believable as that. Um, yeah, yeah. That's. It would have been interesting if they brought in, say, you know, uh, there's there's a representative from Starfleet that who's here to train you and help you through this mission because it's going to be very tight security. And if your cover is blown, you are all dead. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and all right. of a sudden, like, yeah. a, you know, like another Klingon shows up and they're like, who are you? And like, I'm here to train you. Oh yeah. See? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, something like that. so I, I want to talk about Klingon honor a little bit before we, we wrap up this segment. Cause I, uh, that is obviously the sort of the thing that gives up the game here is this discussion on honor. So I really like that scene with our spies in Klingon jail. Although, although Norman, correct me if I'm wrong, because I thought Klingons don't take prisoners. At least I, I think I heard that somewhere. Um, let's see. First of all, you should say your prayers. Prayers. <laughs> Mr. Savick, the Klingons don't take Okay, that that was it. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but uh, so Cisco and the others who were there in jail, 
Uh, they challenge Martok with the, the logic of the situation that's going on around him. And Martok, and Gowron for that matter, they're unwilling to see actual evidence. So Martok and the, uh, any other Klingons, presumably, would rather simply follow their sense of honor and order than expose the cracks even when the very foundation of their empire is threatened. Like they ignore that and just say, oh, no, no, but, but, but this principle that we've decided is more important. So we're just going to follow that principle, even though everything around us is, uh, you know, basically on a foundation of sand. Um, Cisco says, would you be happier if we succeeded? I, it, you know, come on. What, what is really, where do you stand? To which Martok replies, I'm a loyal officer of the Empire. And then, so like, that, that's his only, this is go-to answer for anything. But then Cisco says, now, come on, how long have you suspected this? And then they get into the weeds here about, you know, it's been months and Galron's attitude changed and this and that. Okay, wonderful, great, great scene. The only problem is all of that great dialogue was spoken to fake Martok, the changeling. <laughs> it's the real Klingons who need to hear that. So that right. scene is what needed to play out in front of Gowron or any of the other of uh, the High Council. They're the ones who need to hear it. But, but it's a great message. It was just on the wrong ears. <laughs> The only thing missing from this episode was Odo singing Tiny Bubbles. Let's see if John and Norman spotted that. John, this episode has been a lot of fun, and there's a lot to talk about, and we got to a lot of different subject matters, but in the end, as we do with Mission Log, we try to boil it down to the morals, meanings, and messages, and does this episode hold up in that way for you oh man uh this episode holds up in a lot of ways for me quite frankly and look i, I i've said before on the show i'm usually not the biggest fan of klingon centric stories like i i like klingons i like that they exist in the star trek universe but i i think spending a lot of time on deep stories about klingons just not my bag. I mean, I, I've been much more interested in where we've gone with uh, deep Cardassian stories. I just think there's a, a lot richer culture there, a lot more interesting to me. I understand why Klingons are appealing, but this is a personal thing. Um, I, I, I feel like very often in Klingon stories, you just sort of get the idea that the Klingons have terrible morals or messages to pass along no matter what. <laughs> so it, it's it, most of those stories leave me that way. Uh, this one is different, though. The story is fun, first of all. It's a spy story. They appropriately build up tension. They manage to tie that story and that tension to the overall arc of, of little pieces of, of plot thread that we've been developing now for more than a year. So that's cool. The acting is strong, the moments that are funny are genuinely funny, and that is really a strength of Deep Space Nine, is that they, I said it as recently as a couple of episodes ago, you know, they, they really are able to find the humor that is genuine from the characters. They're not just sitting down 
writing down a joke, you know, the the writers, that is. I wish I wish that reveal hadn't already been spoiled for me. <laughs> it wasn't for you, and I envy you that. Uh, but what can you do? Uh, the, the tension, though, still works. And like I said before, the playback value is still really high. Because when you go back and rewatch this and you see those moments of reaction, particularly with Renee, they're, they're just great. I also, I, I usually hate when you put your lead character in makeup to look like something they're not. I, I always think back to James Bond, Sean Connery, and You Only Live Twice. That does not hold up well <laughs> at all. It's, let's just say, it's offensive, you know. But somehow, here, it kind of works because they acknowledge how ridiculous it is. Um, except for Avery, he makes a great Klingon. Let, let's just introduce a new Avery Brooks played Klingon character, put a, put an apostrophe somewhere in his name, and he's set uh, because he was really good as a Klingon. So I love. Oh, oh, and, and shout out to uh, Jonathan West, uh, director of photography on this episode, because like, like I said, you can tell that he and probably James L. Conway, with that luxury of time, really decided to, no pun intended, focus on how this would come together visually and mm-hmm. uh, and really flex that. So really nice looking episode, moves along incredibly well. I I loved it. 10 out of 10, we'll watch again. <laughs> what about you, Norman? Well, I agree. I mean, I think this episode holds up extremely well. And uh, as a as a designer uh, and and somebody who really enjoys kind of like the the aesthetic of how it was set, the costume design and the use of the prosthetics and the applications. I think that, you know, the costume department and the design department and the art department, they all worked overtime and it shows. I mean, it shows that they put a lot of effort into trying to craft this uh, this this seamless transition into the seedier Klingon compound. And I think that it really worked. You had a lot of great detail. You had a lot of great accoutrement. You had the Klingon blood wine cauldron, of which I don't think I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And you had those statue callbacks you know, to General Chang and to, and to Kalis. You had the weapons. You had just everything felt right. It felt smoky. It felt dingy. It felt very, very lived in. So I loved that. And I think that the, the actors probably enjoyed for the most part putting on the applications i did read that colm did not like acting through the makeup at (laughs) all and it kind of showed because he always felt like he was a little stunned every time he was trying to act through the the uh, applications yes but but i also think that he uh he played that to his strength where he just didn't seem at ease at all delivering his lines because he was tapping into just the sheer fear of being discovered as he was almost by Martok, which was a really well-acted scene, even if he was just uh, terribly uncomfortable in the, uh, in the makeup applications. But I think Renee did incredibly well with it. Obviously, Michael Dorn is comfortable in it. It's probably second skin to him. But you're right. Avery, mm-hmm. as a Klingon, just owned it. He wow. owned being a Klingon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So good. But aside from looking at the production quality and how it looked as an episode. I don't feel that the plot itself was super complex. That being said, the, they, uh, they told a very tight story and it was incredibly well acted and incredibly well executed. And it kept you moving along very quickly. You could tell that there was a lot 
that they probably wanted to put in. But, you know, when you take out a lot of the fluff, that's when a story can really accelerate. And they were going at a very, very fast clip, which kept the tension high, which I thought was really to the episode's success. And also, Norman, glory to you and your house. <laughs> the scene that launched a billion memes, right? <laughs> He's he's amazing. But hey, it's not all just uh, fun and games and memes. Let's talk about uh, morals, meanings, messages. I, I think there definitely are some in here to, to talk about. Coming down to that last scene about honor and about integrity, really, is what that's all about. Again, said to the wrong guy, because it's said to the bad guy, it's said to the changeling, but it is said to us. And, and it is a statement for the Klingons here in general. Worf says, since when is it treasonous to act in the best interest of the Empire? He knows that if they were to continue down this path, they're only setting themselves up for destruction. So it's sort of like, if you see something, say something. Because a, a moral, ethical code is useless unless you're using it to identify and do something about the breaches of those ethics. And the Klingons will, time and time again, they've shown that they will just say, oh, but that, that's not honorable, but this is, and they will let things go to hell around them, talking about honor, instead of actually doing what is honorable on so many occasions. The other thing, you know, for Odo, there is a personal lesson in this story for Odo. It's a lesson about who you are, not what you are. And it's obvious because there's been a lot of that with Odo up until now. But now the stakes are higher without his special abilities. Cisco says, you know, Odo has this line, like, what you need is a shapeshifter who will take the shape of Gowron's pet Targ. And Cisco says, I need my chief of security. It's not about that skill. It's about what you've got between your ears. It's about what you bring intellectually to this process. It's about your experience, you know. So that it's nice to see that. And they drive that home often very well with Odo. And finally, talk. This is anathema to Gowron and his way of being a Klingon. But talk. They say the last thing the Dominion wants is talk. Because they know that a house divided will fall. Mm -hmm. If the Federation and the Klingon Empire can't at least extend the olive branch, at least try to figure out what is the big picture around them, they will destroy each other. And it does make it so much easier for that outsider to come in and take over in a vacuum. Um, that is true on the micro scale. It is true on the macro scale. We see that socially. We see that politically. And here they're spelling it out in the metaphor of science fiction. So talk. Yeah, Gowron rolls his giant bug eyes at that. But talk. That's what we learned from Picard. It's what Cisco sees as the way to go. It's what Worf sees as the way to go. Yeah, what else, Norman? And I, and I agree with that. I mean, like being able to open up lines of communication doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be friends immediately. And I think that Gowron alludes to that. You know, it's mm -hmm. not going to be easy to unravel the, the head of steam that the Empire has already built, especially with the campaign to, to reclaim the Arcanist sector. But, you know, as, as much as, as the story does focus on trying to expose what Gowron, quote unquote, did or did not do as the changeling agent, which he was not... I, th I still think that the real heart of the story 
is Odo coming to terms with his identity, who he is now and what he is capable of and how he laments what he is no longer able to do. But I do think that it's a nice turn for Cisco to to be this mentor, kind of like to be the manager of Odo's expectations and to be this leader and a friend and help him uh, help Odo come to terms with what he is going through and how he tries to navigate this new territory for him. And I know that the situation that they were put in to infiltrate this Klingon compound, it's not a real mission. What I say is that it's not an actual mission where real soldiers would put their lives on the line with somebody who has such serious doubt about their own abilities because that would put everyone's lives in danger. So right. that's the reality of an actual real situation, a real-time non-fantasy, non-fiction-based situation. But I think for the, the brevity and for the sake of storytelling, I think that what Cisco was able to do to throw Odo into the deep end, so to speak, and to get him back into thinking tactically was really smart just because it's better than slapping him across the face and saying, snap out of it. Right. right? It is, right. you are now in charge of one of these four pillars of this mission that everyone is depending on, including yourself. So it's either you perform or we're in trouble. And I think that that's where Odo's like, you know what? I'm duty bound, honor bound. And this is who I am. It's going to reach down deep and say, you know what? I've always been able to be trusted to do my job. And if I can't do that at the point where I'm needed most, then that's probably when he's like, I'm no good to anybody. But he isn't. He was able to do what he needed to do, albeit a couple fumbles, but he was able to do the one thing at the end, and that was find the true infiltrator and to a lawman, to a lawman, that is everything. Yes. yes. I, you said it. He got his groove back. <laughs> I believe you said it first. Mike. Well, I, I didn't know. Uh, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. Enjoy all the great Roddenberry podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam! Shabam! And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, The Ship. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. I guess I'll have to wait until next week to see if the ship hits the fan. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.